Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm Pastor TJ. Welcome to everybody online. Welcome to everybody in the house today. It's good to see everybody. You're surviving the soon-to-be hot summer. I uh, went out bike riding with my daughter yesterday, first time of the season. We went on a measly 11-mile ride. I secretly think she's trying to kill me. That's just me. I could be wrong. Uh, So I'm a little sore today, so if you don't see as much jumping around, know that um, the ibuprofen and the Icy Hot has not kicked in yet, but it will at some point. Um, It's good to see everybody today. We are continuing uh, our series called The Elements. What are the elements? The elements are those things in our faith that, uh, that anchor us, that help us to be everything that God created us to be. How many of you know that ice cream is amazing? How many of you know that you can't live on just ice cream? I, Loretta's like, what? It's true. You need building blocks, you know, good food in order to fuel your bodies. Well, you need good spiritual food and discipline in order to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, somebody that God can use. So this entire month, we've been talking about what those elements are. We talked about the Bible. The Bible is our foundational source. We follow the Word of God. We talked about prayer. We talked about being empowered with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about worship. I only got like four emails. It was great. Somebody like, but pastor, I don't like to worship with my hands up. Well, then don't. Just don't throw rocks at the people that do. Let's pray. Right? That'll work. Today, we take it another step. And we talk about the understanding of what the church is. You hear me say this all the time. The church is a people, not a place. What does that mean? That means this. As, as believers, we add to the body. There's something that God has for you to do in order to make the church the church. I remember a few years ago, I was in Denver, and we had uh, we just finished doing a big homeless dinner. We had about 150 guests, men, women, children, all homeless, and we fed everybody, cleaned everything up. I was tired. I was there all day, and I just wanted to go home. Have you ever been in those places you just want to go home, but then somebody encounters you, and they take you for more time on the couch, and you can't go home? So I'm getting ready to do some stuff at the church. All of a sudden, I hear somebody losing their mind at our front church glass doors. They're banging on the doors. They're kicking the doors. I think they're going to rip these doors down. And, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm tired. I just want to go home. So I come down the stairs, and there's this guy banging, angry, losing his mind on the doors. So have you ever struggled to be Christ-like? I was struggling that day. Jesus was in me somewhere. I just don't know where he was hiding. He was in there somewhere. I went down to the doors, and I pushed the doors, and I go, man, what is wrong with you? Because while I was trying to get somebody's attention, I said, behold, you have succeeded. Stop banging on the doors. What do you want? He says, well, I'm hungry. I said, okay. He says, well, I I want something to eat. I said, well, you missed the dinner, but I'll see if we can get you something. He goes, forget it. I don't want anything anyway. He said, this church is just dumb. He said, you say you love us, but we know you don't really love us. You don't care about us at all. And I'm like starting to twitch. Because I just got done feeding people. We just got done doing all this stuff. And then he says this to me. And your pastor's a jerk. I said, go on. He says, all he cares about is himself. All he doesn't care about anybody in this community. He's a jerk. I've heard stories about him. I've seen him. I don't want anything to do with him. He's just a jerk. And you guys are just a jerk. And he goes, you're the maintenance guy, right? And he looked at me. You know what I did? I lied. I said, yes, I am. Because I am kind of the maintenance guy. I do everything. And he says, well, you just send out to everybody needs to. And he just turned around and he walked away. And then as he walked away, I slammed the door. 
Any door slammers in here? Bear your souls. I slammed the door. And I walked up the stairs and I started to have a conversation with I thought myself. And the conversation went something like this. Nobody appreciates anything that I do. Have you ever had this conversation? After you've picked up your children's socks for the 38th time? After you've cleaned the kitchen for the 92nd time? Nobody appreciates me. All I do is work. All I do, nobody cares about anything that I do when I was having a pity party for myself. And I, I remember saying this statement. You know, I'm just, I'm going to stop doing this stuff because nobody cares. It just does, doesn't matter at all. I'm just done. I'm done. I'm done. And then the Holy Spirit, I didn't realize he was eavesdropping. He's listening to my conversation. He says, uh, he says, oh, you're done, huh? You feel unappreciated, huh? I was like, maybe. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit starts asking you questions, it's a setup. <laughs> There's no right answer. Door number one, two, three, it doesn't matter. They're all the same, right? He says, you feel underappreciated. He goes, son, I'm going to ask you a question. He goes, who do you do this for? Do you do this for them? Do you do this for yourself? Or do you do this for me? I said, well, I'm pretty sure the answer is you. Because how many of you know if you don't know what Jesus is always the answer, right? And in that moment, I remembered something. God isn't interested in just us doing stuff for him. He's not just interested in the act. He's interested in the heart behind the act. Why you do what you do is a big deal for the kingdom. It's a big deal to God. It is. It's the heart behind the act. So as we continue our, our series called The Elements, today we're going to look at what it means to serve with the right posture. What it means to be a living stone in the church. What it means for us as a family to come together to share the gifts that God put within us and to do our part. How many of you know that God has something for everybody to do? Now, are you ready for this? Everybody say, Pastor TJ. Pastor TJ. Say it again, Pastor TJ. Pastor TJ. Say, we love you. Because Jesus said we had to. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and do nothing. You can't. Christianity is not a spectator sport. He calls us all to get into the game. Part of who we are, even as a church, Trinity Community Church, we love God and people extravagantly. We're committed to growing in our faith and helping others to grow in theirs. And we're committed to sharing our faith and our lives with others. What is that? That is the action... The verb of being a Christian. I loved what I heard with the youth talking about a young person coming in that was different than them, that had bad experiences, and them actively showing them the love of Christ. That's what we do. We love people extravagantly. So what does that look like for us in the church? If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. We're going to read a very familiar passage. By the way, that painting is absolutely ridiculous. That's incredible. I was watching you paint that. It just made me, made me cry. And that sums up my talk today. Again, if you have our app, if you look on our app, you get all my notes. If you are in the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. John 13, starting at verse 1, says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come to God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. I want to pause here. So Jesus is facing 
you know, the beginning of the end of his mission. And he's having a moment. He understands who Judas is. He understands who Judas, what he's going to do. He understands you know, the picture of where, what his road looks like. And still, instead of turning inward, he stays outwardly focused. How many of you hit a bump in the road and immediately you turn inside? You, you, you look inside. And you say, oh, woe is me. Oh, what am I going to do? Jesus modeled for us what our posture for this looks like. Don't ever put yourself... You know, turn inward instead of forgetting that you live in an entire world of people that are outside of you. Because when you turn inward, not only do you not see other people's needs, but you can't look to them for help. How many of you, you, you hit bumps and then you isolate? Don't do that. We're better together than we are apart. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet then, but also my hands and my head. How many Peters do we have in here? You go from like hero, or from zero to hero, you go from zero to ten in like a blink of an eye. You know, any Peters in here? You, know, you cut off people's ears, you know, people cut you off and then you scream at them and then you say, may God bless you, right? I love how God handles Peter. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every, not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I've given you an example that you should also, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not enough just to know it, beloved, but you have to do it. So what can we learn from our prime example, Jesus, for us, for what it means to serve one another with the example of Christ and to help one another in the church? First, service starts with this. You have to have the right posture. Posture is everything. How you approach your faith is important. How you approach serving is important. How you approach your life is so important. All of us take with us a posture. For example, how many of you are, are very optimistic? You can see the joy and the beauty of every day. How many of you are pessimistic? By the way, you know, just so you know, just going to throw it out there, that is not a spiritual gift. To be able to find all the holes in the boat, that is not a spiritual gift. It's not. God can use that to help things, but don't live there. For example, uh, last week we had some friends visiting us from uh, Colorado. Uh, Mark and Jade, uh, and we've known them for 20 years. And they were so excited. Uh, Mark is uh, just, he's a good friend of mine. Jade's been battling cancer for a few years. So they wanted to come out for Toby's graduation. It was just a beautiful time. And they were excited to see the ocean. Living in Colorado, they have never seen the ocean. They've seen, you know, lakes, they've seen streams, but they've never seen the ocean. So we made a little trip to go down there after the services on Sunday. We drove down there. 
uh, we pulled into our little condo, this little basement thing, and I remember we got all our stuff set, and we opened the door. At that point, we've not even seen the water yet. And as I opened the door, Mark came out, and he goes, I smell it. I said, yeah, it's the water, it's the ocean. He's like, it smells oceany. I said, I know. For some of us never smelled it, that, that's, you're right on. So then we got, and we went outside, we got on the boardwalk, and then we walked down to the beach. And as we stood there, my buddy Mark, big, tough, you know, guy, you know, never any emo- seen any emotion in him, he started to tear up a little bit, seeing the ocean for the first time. So I was looking at him, he's like, this is just amazing. I said, you want to touch it? I can touch it? Yeah, you can touch it. So he took off his shoes, he put, got it, he goes, oh, it's, it's sandy, I, I know, it's crazy, it goes in, it, ooh, it tickles your feet, I know, it's ice cold, but it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? So then the next day, I said, next day we can go in it, we can swim around. So Mark has like a Disney movie experience. He goes in the water, it's cold, he's flopping around, the waves are around, these, these, these porpoises show up and they're playing in the water, and you, yeah, I'm just waiting to hear like, you know, a, a song from like Moana, Moana, and it's just beautiful. And he's in the water, I was in the water, and I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm, I'm just hanging out with Jade. She was one of our worship leaders in uh, Denver. And I said, how you doing, sis, with all this stuff? And she says, you know, she says, God has helped me to see my world in a different way. She said, I have learned to uh, find the beauty in every second, every moment, every hour. She says, I don't know how much time I have left. I've got a brand new grandbaby. She says, so I'm going to live every one of these days to the fullest. I'm going to find the beauty in everything. And she's crying, and I'm crying, and Mark's smiling, playing with the dolphins in the water. And it was a beautiful moment, and it reminded me again, how you see the world is important. Now, you may not be facing cancer. You may have other things that you're dealing with. I don't know. Regardless of that, the posture that you bring to the table is important. Some of you see the world like it's a blessing every day. Some of you see it on the opposite thing. Some of you see your life as a drudgery. I'm part of a, a little Facebook group called, called the, 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 the Christian curmudgeon. Do you know what a curmudgeon is? They can find like the bad things and everything, right? Some of you are like that. It's okay. There's nothing good that happens in the world. The sun's out today. It's a little too bright. It's a warm 80 degree breezy day. Ah, but I wish it was 82, Right? This ice cream is great. Oh, but it could be better. You know anybody like that? If you don't know anybody like that, the chances are pretty good. You're that person. It's you. Now, there's nothing wrong with being that person, but understand this. It's the place you visit. It's not a place you want to live. I, uh, when I was serving in Illinois, uh, one of my pastor buddies, we were like, we worked well together because we were opposite ends of the spectrum. I was sunshine. He was rain. Seriously, I was summer. He was winter. Um, so we were going to this place. We would go to uh, this place we had in town called the Jumbo Buffet. It speaks to me. Tell me they didn't know. It's like a moth to the light. I was right in there. You know what I mean? So we, we, we went to this place. I remember it was November, and I loved it, obviously, for that. But they did this thing. We walked in one day, and they had this thing. It was called Customer Appreciation Days. And you'd walk in, and you'd fill out this little, this little card and they had all these fabulous prizes right in the middle of the store. So you could have, like, they had a TV there, they had a computer, they had a couch, they had all these wonderful things. This is about 15 years ago. And I walked in and I was like, oh, they appreciate me. This is great. And I grabbed it and I started to fill out a card. And my buddy Ken goes, What are you doing? He said, Oh, that's a scam anyway. He goes, You're not going to win anything. Nobody wins anything. I looked at him and I said, You, you shut up. I said, I don't know who you are, but I, said, but I, 
I'm a winner and I'm going to win something. He says, whatever, you're never going to win anything. And that just made me write harder. I wrote my little name in it, put it right in the thing, and I forgot all about it. Christmas Day, I'm not making this up, I get a phone call from the jumbo Chinese. It's the greatest Christmas I've ever experienced to this day. They called me and I was like, who is this? I thought it was Ken messing with me. It was them. They decided on Christmas Day, don't know why, to pick out their pricing. They said, well, you, you, won, you won our big prize. I was like, I did the big prize? I did. I said, when can I get it? Well, we're open today. I said, I'm getting in the car. Christmas Day, I jumped in the red minivan. We had the, the Aerostar, well, the Windstar, they changed it. And I drove all the way down to the, to the buffet to claim my prize. But you know, to me, what was the bigger prize than anything that I won? I was a winner. I won, and Ken didn't. I was the optimist, he was the pessimist. It was a a microcosm of our entire relationship. That's all of us, beloved. All of us have a posture to do what we do. And that posture translates from more than just your little worlds, but it turns into, it feeds into your life, it feeds into your spiritual life, it even feeds into sometimes how you approach the church. Why do you do what you do? Why do we serve? Why do we love the way, you know, God the way that we do? In church world, we have to be very careful, beloved. Most of the people that, that live outwardly, we're ones that, that try to, to, to put value into other things. Sometimes when you live inward, when you live pessimistic, you don't look for value. You look to take things out. You don't look to put in. You look to take things out. You look to, to fix little things. As, as a church, as a believer, we have to remember that the church is not Steel and wood and carpet. The church is built with human hearts. And our church is only as strong as what we're willing to allow God to flow through us to be. We are the church. The church is a people, not a place. So when it comes to our church, what is your posture? This even moves beyond pessimistic and optimistic. We start to move into the, into the realm of being a... Uh, a consumer or a producer? Do we consume or do we give back? Do we take out or do we put in? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we treat churches like department stores, like Amazon. I'm going to go look for the best deal. Have you ever done that? Well, I don't know. They're okay, but they got better coffee over here. I don't know, but did you see the pastries? They got this kids thing. They got this youth thing, blah, blah, blah. And then we pick and choose. Almost like we're going, you know, we're going to, to, to Walmart or Target or you're really classy, Target. That's upscale, right? Are we going to Chili's or Applebee's? Beloved, that's not why the church exists. The church exists, again, not to give out a project, but to change the world. And we change the world when we all step in and we put our pieces in and we become the living stones that God talked to us about. The church is not a place that you go to. It's a family that you belong to. And understand this. The church is the hope of the world. What does that mean? Especially nowadays, in a world that is getting darker and darker and darker, the world needs a light. You are that light. When you decide to say yes to God and we do it with the right posture, God uses the church and she functions the way she's supposed to. She disciples people. She stands in power. She repels the darkness. 
Do you know that we repel the darkness? The church is here to push back evil. And by the way, you're the church. You are. But sometimes we don't act that way. Sometimes we just don't do that. All of us have been created to do something, to be someone. God has a peace for you to add to the family. And when you add that peace, the church becomes even more beautiful. We do. This is why the posture of your heart is so important. If you don't have the right posture, you're always going to struggle to figure out where you fit. You're not going to be happy. And us as a church, we're going to be lesser. We're going to miss something. We're going to be missing a piece. So God calls us to come together, living stones, not to take, but to give, to pour into people and to serve. Now, when it comes to to serving, don't be a selfish servant. Don't, you know, just say, I'll I'll do this, but I'm not going to do this. Come with an open heart. Don't dictate to God what you'll do and what you won't do. Somebody's like, well, I would never do that. We do that all the time. You know, you better get that. (laughs) You know what's great? Sitting here when somebody's phone rings, they're like, no! And they're trying to shut it off. Don't be a meatloaf Christian. I would do anything for God, but I won't do that. Hello? Don't be that person. Serve God. Don't dictate to God what you do. I remember years ago, I was serving as a worship art pastor. A guy showed up in my office, unannounced. That's very rarely a good thing. He says, Pastor, I got to talk to you. I said, about what? He goes, about my calling. I said, okay, come on in. Let's talk. So he sat down. I said, what did God tell you about your calling? He says, God told me I'm supposed to be you. And I was like, I know you think that's great, but it's really not. It's a bad idea. He goes, no, 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 no. He called me to be you. I said, do be what? I don't understand. He goes, I'm supposed to do exactly what you do. I said, what's that? He goes, well, you teach, you sing, you play. I'm supposed to do what you do. I said, great. I said, do you sing? He goes, nope. I said, can you sing? He goes, nope. I said, okay, what do you play? He goes, nothing. Can you play the radio? Sometimes. I said, have you ever spoken in front of anybody? Nope. I said, so you can't sing, you can't play anything, and you can't speak in front of people, but you are going to do what I do. He goes, yep. I said, you can't. Unless an angel shows up at your house tonight touches you on the head, and you can do all this stuff. I said, you can't. I said, maybe God is telling you that he wants you to be involved in worship. we got all kind of holes in worship. we got tech stuff. we got all kind of stuff. Why don't we get you connected to worship? He says, no, because if I can't do what you do, I'm not serving. I said, great. Have a nice day. I will do anything for God. That kind of gets in your head, doesn't it? Thank you, meatloaf. Crazy name. Don't put limitations on what God could do with your life. Don't put limitations at the top end, and don't put limitations at the bottom end. Whether you clean a bathroom, you greet at the door, or you give a talk, we all serve God with all of our heart. It starts with the right posture. Does that make sense? Philippians 2 puts it this way. Be free from pride-filled opinions. For it will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. 
Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Did Jesus hold anything back from us? They don't hold anything back from each other. Serve, serve, serve. So what is your posture? Are you serving God with a good posture? What's the condition of your heart? That's where it all starts, because it doesn't matter what you do, beloved. If we don't do it with the right heart, it doesn't account for anything. That's the first thing. So you have to have the right posture. The second thing is this. You've got to be in the right position. It's hard to serve if you're in the wrong position. It's hard to serve if you're not in the position to serve. You can't come into the house and just say, well, Lord, I'm just going to hang out here. And then when you come to me and tell me what I need to do, I'm just going to go do that. And you just kind of wait. Nobody's approaching me. I guess I just, I'm off the hook. It's like flying a plane. You ever been on a plane and you got the three seats? And there's, there's you and then there's somebody in the window and you're praying to God that nobody sits in that middle seat. And you're praying to God that if somebody does sit in that middle seat that they're, they weigh 102 pounds. But does that ever happen? No, guys like me come down the aisle going, is that seat taken? And I squeeze right in there, right? It's what we do. Right? Can, you, can you relate? Can anybody relate? Don't wait and let service opportunities come to you. Go get them. It's part of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 starts with this incredible word. Go and make disciples. You know what that word means in Greek? Go. Get up. Go. Pursue service like you're running after the ice cream man. Go. Go get them. Get up and do something. Find service opportunities. Now, if you're here this morning and you are waiting, do what waiters do when they wait. Serve. Serve. Serve somebody. Again, you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and do absolutely nothing. In the DNA of every believer is the DNA of Christ. When you become a new creation in Christ, the Holy Spirit changes your DNA, and in that DNA is service. Coming and listening to me Speak for an hour on a Sunday is not enough. That's not service. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. My job is to prepare you to do something. And it's churches, sometimes we think we come in and we just put our time in. This isn't what the church is. The church, this is the time where we come together. We rally together. We train. We get strong. We get fired up. And then we go out and we change the world. That's what we do. Sometimes as churches, we just train all the time, but we never do anything with the training. That's not the purpose of this. So we go and we serve. Well, how do we know that? Because that's the example that Jesus showed us. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our prime example when it comes to serving others. So when we serve others, we serve them like Jesus would. We love them like Jesus would love them. We touch them like Jesus would touch them. We speak to them like Jesus would speak to them. You may be the only Jesus that people see. And that's what it means for us to serve. So what happens in us? What needs to happen so that you and I can be in the right position to serve? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. In order to be in that position, we have to do two things. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just set this passage up real quick. We sang a little bit about it today. This is Isaiah, a powerful prophet that comes into contact, unveiled with who God is. Now, sometimes as believers, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not wrong. We, are, um, we approach God, Jesus, and Jesus is our best friend. He's the lover of our souls. There's an intimacy in our relationship with Christ, and it's absolutely beautiful. Like John the Beloved that put his head on his chest, we do that. But also understand this, the God that we serve, he is the master of the universe. The stars bow to him. Uh, there is an, an awesomeness to him that we just can't even fathom. But it's there. This is Isaiah coming face to face with the reality of who God is. Isaiah 6 verse 1 says this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending to him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they flew. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Verse 5, and then I said, it's all over, I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you realized you're not all that you thought you were? You're like, what am I doing here? I think Isaiah had this moment. We find Isaiah in this place. He comes face to face with God and who he really is. And in coming face to face with God and who he really is, he also comes face to face with his incredible limitations. So Isaiah comes to this conclusion that a lot of us come to. I cannot do this. I am not enough. Now thankfully, God was listening into Isaiah's heart and his thoughts. And he steps in. And he has a word for Isaiah. Isaiah 6, it says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now I don't know what about the coal took away his guilt and took away his sin. But I know this. God declared it, so it must be real. So this thing happens to Isaiah and with this experience, Isaiah now is given a choice. He can either trust God in his word, that he's good now, or he can stay stuck in his limitations. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had God speak to you, and you're pretty sure he spoke to you? But, you know, he spoke to you this, but as time goes on, the enemy comes in, he tries to steal the seed, and he tries to say, yeah, but did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Have you ever been there before? He's got two choices. Beloved, remember this. God does not always look for the most qualified individual. He doesn't just call the qualified, he qualifies the called. What does that mean? He's looking for yielded, open hearts, people that will say yes to you. If you say yes, that's enough. The Holy Spirit then comes in and he makes up the rest. Does that make sense? So Isaiah has a choice. Do I believe what God says or do I reject it? Do I see myself the way that God sees me? 
Or do I just focus on my weakness? So Isaiah makes a choice, and he decides to, uh, to say yes. Isaiah is open to what God wants him to do. He's open to who he, God says that he is. Openness is beautiful. Why is openness beautiful and essential for us as believers? Because God can't use you unless you're open. He can't use you, he can't use me unless we're open and unless we're pliable to him. He's looking for a people that'll just be open to him. So he does that. He is these people that, you know, Isaiah said, I, don't, I may not see it, Lord, but I'm going to believe I'm the person that you say that I am. Beloved, too many times we disqualify ourselves because we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. Let me show you a little secret here. You ready for this? You are not enough. There's nothing in you that is enough that makes the forces of darkness tremble. There's nothing in you that's powerful enough, that's good enough to get this thing done all by your own. Now, thank the Lord, God's not asking you to do this by yourself. You're not enough, but when you inject the Holy Spirit into your life, you are more than enough. You are. There's nothing that can stand before you that, 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 can, that can withstand what God wants to do in your life. If you say yes, if you're open to who God is, you're more than enough. Don't trust your own strength and your own ability. This isn't about you. Trust the God that, that, that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is inside of you. Trust that. You trust that and you'll change the world. So Isaiah does that. He's open to what God wants him to do. He's open to see things the way that God shows him these things. But there's more. There's one more thing. Look at verse 8. Now, this is just nuts. I don't even know where to put this. It says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to these people, or to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Now, put yourself in Isaiah's sandals, because I don't think they had shoes back then. He's in the throne room of God Almighty. The angels that are flying around are so fierce, their voices shake the foundations of this temple. So here Isaiah is standing there, and, and, you know, and, and God's asking for a volunteer. Have you ever been in a place where you know, people are asking for a volunteer, and nobody wants to do it, and you have that awkward silence? We need somebody to work in the nursery for the next 72 years, and you know, do we have any volunteers? No, you just put your head down. Most of the time, if I ask for volunteers, you don't make eye contact, you look away. If you don't look into his eyes, he can't suck away your soul and make you do stuff, right? So here you have Isaiah in the throne room of heaven. All of these more than qualified beings. And Isaiah says, I got this. Here am I, send me. I got this. A little bit of a shift, isn't it? It's not enough just to be open to what God wants you to be. To be open to, to who God, you know, how he sees you. But then we also have to be obedient to do what he's asking us to do. And I wonder this. I wonder if Isaiah could ever even imagine what his saying yes to God, how that would impact the rest of humanity. We're still talking about Isaiah, about an experience he had thousands of years ago. We sang a song today based about an experience that Isaiah had thousands of years ago because he was open and he was obedient. He said yes. Isaiah did something God's asking all of us to do, to step up 
to get into the game and to serve. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor, that was Isaiah. And he, you know, he wrote a book of the Bible and he saw Jesus. But what could I do? What little thing could I do? Beloved, you have no idea how God could shape the rest of the world through your simple yes. You have no idea. We have no idea the impact we could make. Agnes Mojaksu was born the youngest of three children on August 27th, 1910 in Macedonia. A young girl, as a young girl, Agnes was fascinated by stories of missionaries. During her teenage years, she was so moved by the stories of the work done in India by the Jesuit missionaries who were serving in Bengal that she knew that she wanted to be a religious sister. So she left her little teeny village. At age 18, Agnes became a missionary and headed to India. She would never see her family again. It was there that Agnes took on the name Sister Mary Teresa. The world would know her by this name, although a slight variation was there. As she gained experience, she became a superior, and then she'd be known as Mother Teresa. Following her formation, Mother Teresa moved to India, to the city of Calcutta, and became a teacher at the Loretto Convent School there. For 20 years, she taught at the school, and she eventually became the headmistress there, the pinnacle of her order. Mother Teresa served as a teacher during the week and helped the poor on Sundays. If this would have continued in her life, she would have been considered extraordinary. And yet the course of her life would take a dramatic turn, September of 1946, during a train ride on her annual retreat. On her train ride, Mother Teresa received what she called a second calling, or a call within a call. It was a call to leave her life, the safety of being a teacher in Calcutta, and to serve the poorest of the poor in the slums of that city. On August 17, 1948, she dressed for the first time in her white with blue-bordered sari, and she passed through the gates of her beloved Loretta Convent to enter the world of the poor. They released her to go and to minister to all the poor with no support, no help, just her call. Be warm and well-fed. Have you ever done that? So she went into the, the poorest of the poor. She visited families, washed the sores of children, cared for the old and the sick. She nursed women dying of hunger, ministered to those dying of leprosy and tuberculosis. She started each day with communion. And then she went out with a rosary in her hand to find and to serve the Lord. She looked for the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. After some months, she was joined one by one by her former students. On October 7, 1950, the Congregation of Missionaries of Charity was officially established by the Archdiocese of Calcutta. By the early 60s, Mother Teresa had begun to send her sisters to other parts of India. The Missionary of the Charity Center in Calcutta was founded by Mother Teresa in 1950. Since its foundation, the order has expanded to now comprise over 4,500 nuns, actively working in more than uh, 600 missions across 133 countries. All from a little girl from a little village in a little nowhere town going into the poorest of the poor. All she did was just say yes. Mother Teresa said this, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Beloved, when you say yes to God, we have no idea the ripples that we create. We have no idea when we step out of our comfort zones how God can use those little steps, those little yeses 
to change the world, to go beyond even the borders of where we are right now. It could happen anywhere. You have no idea if you're working in our kids' ministry today who those children are becoming. I'll tell you what, we need help in the kids' ministry. If you have a tetanus shot, a rabies shot, that ministry is for you. You have no idea who these children are going to become. We have over 100 kids that meet here, teenagers that meet here every Friday night. They need your help. Come and be a part of it. This is the future of the church now. This is the now of the church. Every one of these kids, we had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 in the first service and 5 or 6 in the second. Every one of these kids has the potential to change the world. The next president of the United States may be here somewhere. I don't know. Come and do your part. Cast your stone. Create a ripple. We've got tons of other opportunities. You never know what love and kindness may do, shaping and changing a human heart. Get involved. There's a practical way you can do this. You can go to the next slide. Here's a QR code of all the service opportunities we have here. These aren't just service opportunities inside Trinity Community Church, but these are also ways to get plugged into what we do to change the world. Right now, we support over 65 different missionary endeavors, local and abroad all with the same thing in mind, to create as many ripples as possible to change the world. Beloved, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. You are the church. You're the church. It's time to step up. It's time to get in. Get into the game. Bow your heads with me. This is just what I want you to do, just in this last moment. I want you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. You hear me say this all the time. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit two questions. First, Holy Spirit, where do I fit? Ask him, say, show me, Lord. Draw me to something. Show me. I want to go. Where do I fit? Where do I put my peace into this place? And the second thing I want you to ask him is this. Lord, how do I engage? How do I do this? Determine in your heart right now you're going to say yes. Then figure out where he wants you to be. Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you. Incline your ear and come to me. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Father, I pray that our ears would be open to, to you, wide open to you, that we would incline ourselves to you, that you could speak to us, that we will not be like that song that says, I will do anything for you except that. But Father, we will accept the mission that you give us, whether it be small or big, Send us, Lord. Send us. So, Father, throughout the week, I pray that you would continue to speak to everyone about their role 
in the kingdom and their role in this church. We are your hands and feet and your mouth extended, Lord. Help us to be the person you created us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now we bless everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. I was in here last week. I was gone a week, and I feel like I was gone forever. You probably didn't even realize I was gone, did you? But I felt it, and it's so good to see all of you today. Don't forget, there. if you're here for the first time, there is a table out there, a visitor's table. There's a free gift for you. We would love to connect with you. And don't forget, our giving stations are in the back. Thank you so much. Uh, we'd like to ask the elder team and the prayer team to come forward. Do not leave without getting prayed for if you have a need. God bless you. We'll see you next week.